You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Being plus size and pregnant in today's world can be difficult. But despite the scary medical statistics, overweight moms-to-be are having healthy pregnancies and happy babies every day. So what's the truth behind being plus size and pregnant? Are you really more at risk? I'm Dr. Ray Kamali, an OBGYN affiliated with Sharp Chula Vista Medical Center, and this is Preggy Pals, episode 35. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant, and I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants I've got cankles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I am your host, Sunny Galt. Are you a member of the Preggy Pals Club? Our members have access to all of our archived episodes, plus bonus material after every new show, and special giveaways and discounts. To sign up, visit our website, preggypals.com. All right, so let's meet our panelists. Stephanie, kick us off. Hi, I'm Stephanie Saufeld. I am 29. I'm a gemologist, and I am currently pregnant with my first child, a baby girl, and we're having a hospital birth. And I'm Elisa Suter. I am a wedding planner. I'm 20, not 29. <laughs> 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 no, I'm 32. Um, and I'm pregnant with my first uh, child, who is also a daughter. And we are also planning a uh, hospital birth. And I think that's new for our listeners, because you didn't know what you were having exactly. last time. We found out on Thanksgiving <laughs> with our family. Yay! Yeah, it was exciting. We did a little mini gender reveal. Aww. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <coughs> Sound familiar? <coughs> if your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little... I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Before we begin today's episode, here's Jennifer Durbin with some pregnancy tips for the clueless chick. Hi, I'm Jennifer Durbin, the author of Pregnancy Tips for the Clueless Chick and mother of two wonderful little boys. I'd love to share with you my secrets for surviving the 10 to 45-minute feedings you'll have every two to three hours the first few weeks of baby's life. Whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, be prepared to spend hours upon hours glued to the couch feeding the baby. With my must-have nursing basket, you'll have everything you need to survive, I mean enjoy, all of that time. So grab a cute little basket and add these 10 must-haves. Number one, 
an It's Been or Stopwatch app for timing the length of each feeding and the time between feedings because it's so easy to lose track of time. Two, a water bottle and snack for yourself because you can get very thirsty and hungry while nursing. Three, ibuprofen or any prescription medication you're taking during your recovery. Four, a suction bulb and infant saline nose drops because it's easiest to suction baby's nose while she's eating. Five, hand sanitizer and your favorite hand lotion because you can't be too germ-free in the first few weeks and your poor overwashed hands need extra attention. Six, infant gas drops or gripe water if baby has reflux or painful gas. Seven, nipple cream to apply after each feeding. Eight, a burp cloth for the inevitable spit-ups and spills. Nine, your phone to catch up on phone calls and check email. And ten, a good book or the remote so that you can do a little something for yourself while playing wet nurse. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the quiet time with your little one. And don't forget to pump from time to time so that your partner can experience the joys of feeding time as well. For more great tips, visit cluelesschick.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. All right, today's topic was suggested by you, the listeners. How does pregnancy differ for plus-size women? Our expert today is Dr. Ray Kamali, an OBGYN affiliated with Sharp Chula Vista Medical Center, where he's also the chairman of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Dr. Kamali, welcome to Preggy Pals. Thanks for having me. Sure, absolutely. At what point is a woman considered obese, and how is that measured? Uh, we use the terms uh, overweight and obese really in our uh, conversations on a day-to-day basis, but um, the most clinically relevant definition uh, of uh, obesity and overweight uh, comes from a, um, a, a number that uh, we determine by, uh, ca- called the uh, body mass index, or BMI, and that's calculated by um, taking a patient's uh, weight in kilograms and dividing that by their uh, height in meters squared. Um, most people don't know their weight in kilograms or height by meters <laughs> squared. So, uh, if you don't want to do all the math, you can uh, just uh, do an internet search uh, for you know how to calculate your BMI. And there's multiple websites that you can go on, put in your weight and your height and feet and um, and and uh, pounds, and and that'll calculate it out for you. Okay. And how accurate is BMI in calculating someone's overall health and figuring out if they are a healthy person? Uh, well, you know, BMI is a is an uh, estimation of a um, of a patient's. Uh, um, average body fat, but it's not a uh, perfect uh, number or perfect science. So uh, usually a clinician will, uh, you know, look at your, uh, your, your, um, your health and uh, the total picture and hopefully in a preconception, uh, you know, preconception visit, uh, if you're able to see the doctor before uh, you're pregnant and they'll take everything into consideration, but BM, uh, BMI is just part of that picture. 
Now, Dr. Kamali, yes. um, I know that BMI is very useful, um, but is it possible for somebody to have a high BMI and still be healthy? Absolutely. Uh, again, a BMI is just part of the picture, so we take that into consideration. Um, but we you know we look at the patient's general um, health picture, looking at their um, you know pre-gestational um, you know health, uh, meaning that you know we assess them for diabetes, for um, high blood pressure, and just for uh, you know overall health. And uh, and again, BMI is just part of it. But yes, absolutely, we have uh, many patients that have higher BMIs that do um, you know do significantly better than normal BMI patients. So that is just part of it. Yes. Okay. Why does weight matter in pregnancy? I mean, we, we put a lot of focus, I think, on weight, okay? Even if we come into a pregnancy having, you know, whatever, average BMI, okay? You know, we think about the weight we're going to gain. But why overall, you know, if we know we're going to gain weight, why why does it really matter? We're gaining weight no matter what, right? Why Absolutely. is it important? Um, well, your uh, pre-gestational or pre-pregnancy uh, weight um, uh um, determines the uh, the risks or um, uh, some adverse uh, outcomes that you may face during your pregnancy. So if you are overweight or obese, uh, you have a um, slightly increased risk of ha- uh, developing some medical problems or complications during your pregnancy and also in your postpartum period. Um, so as the BMI increases, uh, the risk of those adverse outcomes increase. Um, so, and so it is important to determine the BMI and the weight and also uh, just so that we can um, look for those uh, possible complications or, uh, um, or adverse outcomes and uh, and also try to reduce or manage the risks. Um, maybe could we go into a couple of those risks? And it would be nice to actually hear how much of an increased risk, because I think that a lot of times um, being overweight or obese, women hear, oh my gosh, you have this huge risk. Um, and really, the vast majority of women who are overweight or obese um, actually do are able to have healthy pregnancies and and healthy babies. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, we we can actually just break down those risks um, um, for initially for uh, preconception or, you know, uh, trying to conceive and then to, um, you know, the risks during pregnancy, risks during labor, and then the postpartum risks and also risks to the baby. So, um, um, Again, as you, as you mentioned, sometimes we uh, sometimes talk about risks, but unless you put a real number to it, it's kind of difficult to assess or um, understand exactly what the risks are. Um, so uh, let's start off with uh, risks of uh, c- um, having difficulty conceiving or uh, what we call subfertility or sometimes infertility. So um, uh, our patients with higher BMI and mostly um, obese patients, but sometimes overweight patients. And uh, and, and just for the purpose of our, uh, our conversation, it's good to kind of define what, uh, you know, overweight and obesity uh, um, is. So we talked about BMI and how to calculate it. And then we basically look at the uh, uh, the patient's BMI. If the patient's between 18, uh, BMI of 18 to 25, they're considered to have a normal BMI. Um, and that's the International, or sorry, Institute of Medicine and World, World Health Organization definition. So 18 to 25 is considered to be normal. Between 25 to just under 30 or 29.9 is considered to be overweight, and over 30 is considered to be obese. So um, so then we basically look at our patient's BMI, and you know we put them in that classification of uh, overweight or uh, obese, and that sort of helps us also determine their risks. But um, risks of uh, um, miscarriage, uh, with uh, with uh, with our obese patients, patients with BMI over thirty is increased uh, by twofold um, in 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 our um, 
and uh, in, in those patients. Now, um, and uh, sometimes patients that are obese also have difficulty um, getting pregnant, um, and that comes from, you know, uh, patients uh, that are obese have a high risk of developing polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is having problem ovulating, and, and, and that, you know, obviously it would pose a difficulty, um, you know, getting pregnant. So, uh, um, so yes, yeah, so patients with uh, um, with uh, um, PCOS have difficulty pr- getting pregnant, um, and uh, you know um, weight loss can help you ovulate and get pregnant. Do you have any actual like numbers, percentages sure. about? Because I know that you said it increases twofold, but that you know if if the actual percentage for regular infertility might be whatever the percent, it might be a lot smaller than it sounds. Because it sounds really scary. Oh my gosh, I have twice as much. Um, per, uh, a probability of actually having a miscarriage. Uh, can you go into that a little? Sure. Bit? Uh, as 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 you know, uh, um, you know, risk of miscarriage is is um, is pretty high in a, in general population. Um, you know, there, there's an estimation that one in three pregnancies end up in early miscarriage. Now, sometimes people don't really have a diagnosis of miscarriage because they're uh, a week or too late for their period, and then they just have a period and they never take a pregnancy test, so they know you know they don't know they were pregnant and they miscarried. So, uh, but uh, you know, increasing that you know by two that sometimes does uh, increase your risk somewhere around 40 to 50 percent but um, you know that's just in in obese patients patients with uh, um, BMIs of over 30 Um, and um, and then um, we're going to just kind of use that as a segue to go into the, uh, the the actual pregnancy complication, and uh, and those are basically complications that a mom uh, is diagnosed with or faces uh, during their pregnancy and one of the more uh, um, uh, serious ones is uh, um, diabetes. Now, there's a uh, um, patient may develop gestational diabetes. That's developing diabetes during their pregnancy, and that um, any preg- any pregnant woman has a chance of developing diabetes. And patients with higher BMI have a slightly elevated chance of uh, developing. Um, gestational diabetes. So um, for in a general population, the risk of developing gestational diabetes is somewhere in 2 to 6% range. And uh, with uh, um, with uh, overweight and obesity, that goes up um, between 6 to 12%. So it is uh, ele- elevated by threefold. Um, they, and uh, But diabetes, a patient may also have diabetes before they actually um, conceive or become pregnant. Now, one of the things is uh, that we see the patients for the first time, a lot of patients, uh, whether obese or weight or, or uh, normal weight, um, see the doctor for the first time when they're pregnant. So they've been healthy all their life or they haven't had any medical issues, so they haven't seen a doctor. So a lot of times we see the patient for the first time when they're pregnant. So uh, what we sometimes do is screen patients for diabetes um, in, in the first trimester or the first visit and uh, and to see if they have pre-gestational diabetes. So if a patient does have elevated sugars or elevated glucose tolerance, before 12, I'm sorry, before 20 weeks, they're considered to be pre-gestational diabetes, diabetic, meaning that they had diabetes before they actually got pregnant. Um, so yeah, so uh, with gestational diabetes or pre-gestational diabetes, um, there are some uh, increased risk of uh, uh, developing other complications. You know, some of those we were talking about um, in the uh, in the green room or the waiting room uh, was uh, you know macrosomia, having a larger baby, um, and sometimes larger babies uh, pose some difficulty with uh, labor, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, um, sometimes placental insufficiency causing a slightly increased risk of stillbirth, um, and uh, you know, and sometimes smaller babies. Um, 
aside from the diabetes, uh, there's also uh, an increased risk of developing pregnancy-associated hypertension. That's a special type of high blood pressure that people develop in pregnancy. And uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, um, the the risk is increased by one and a half times. So uh, putting that in real numbers, uh, the risk of a a woman in normal population to develop uh, gestational um, or uh, pregnancy-induced high blood pressure is about 10%. And uh, you know, with uh, with uh, obesity and uh, being overweight, that's increased uh, uh, by one and a half fold. So somewhere around uh, f- you know fifteen to twenty percent. But um, and that's just basically developing high blood pressure in pregnancy. And sometimes that can be more complicated. Sometimes you can develop preeclampsia, which is uh, you know when the blood pressure starts affecting some of the other organs like the kidneys and the liver and the brain, and sometimes the baby. Um, and then there's other things like uh, de- developing bladder infections. It's been found that patients that are overweight and obese have a you know fourfold increase in risk developing UTIs. But you know that's easily managed by you know ch- checking and treating. Um, risk of having uh, post-term um, um, deliveries. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> you don't want to go over 42 weeks, but sometimes uh, you know sometimes uh, you know um, you can go over 42 weeks, and also. Um, uh, risk of uh, well, they have looked at um, if if there is an actual increased risk of preterm deliveries, and there is no real increased risk of uh, preterm deliveries. But sometimes with the complications like high blood pressure, like diabetes, right, preeclampsia, you may need to deliver the baby early. So sometimes we deliver those babies a little bit earlier because of the you know the complications of pregnancy. But the actual um, obesity is not a real risk, um, you know, for preterm deliveries. So basically, I know um, that. You know, there is definitely there are definitely risks, sure. um, but I think it's good for people to actually hear that there's a, a really good statistical chance that you'll be just fine. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that um, from the perspective of someone who does fall into that higher BMI category, not crazy high <laughs> BMI category, but higher BMI category, a lot of times we hear constantly from our doctors, our nurses, et cetera. And I had shared th- some things with you outside um, that, oh, well, you have to, you have to be extremely vigilant and, you know, you, you have to, you're, you're definitely going to get gestational diabetes Absolutely. and all these things. And I think it's really important for um, women who are in that higher BMI category to just be aware that, yes, there is an increased risk, but it's not dire it's not you're you're not definitely going to get this. absolutely and I'm glad you you mentioned this because um, the purpose of this discussion and um, and this talk is to to um, to increase the awareness and uh, and uh, you know and just to 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 look out for and know the risks but um, really uh, what we want to do is by mention by, by by mentioning these risks is to uh, um, to to um, be able to manage and uh, and and to diagnose these conditions better by uh, encouraging patients to come and see their doctor hopefully preconception before they get pregnant and just evaluate their um, you know medical risks and medical conditions before they get pregnant and also during their pregnancy to um, you know to come in early because sometimes patients are just you know um, scared of you know going to the doctor and being told all those things so they just you know avoid doctors and and uh, you know we just want to encourage patients to come in early get tested and so we can look out for those things and you know through uh, various counseling and various um, um, things we can help patients have a healthy pregnancy but absolutely we have, uh, you know, m- uh, most of our patients that are uh, that fall in overweight and, uh, and uh, higher BMI categories um, do 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 great and have healthy pregnancies, and that's 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 at the end that's what we're after. Just quickly, I wanted to also touch on some, you know, again, we don't, we're not trying to scare patients, but you know, some uh, possible complications during labor, and then also um, 
possible perinatal uh, complications, meaning complications to the baby. Um, so, you know, just quickly, um, there is a slightly elevated risk of uh, um, having longer labors. Um, you know, that's just uh, something that they have found, you know, by, you know, looking at patients that are, uh, that are uh, fall into the higher BMI categories and the length of the labors. Um, risk of, uh, you know, um, having a difficult epidural or having an epidural that doesn't uh, completely function or work well, meaning the patient may um, have some discomfort, and also uh, slightly higher, um, well, higher C-section rates uh, in patients that are in the uh, BMI over 30 category. Um, and, um, and then, you know, after the delivery, there is, uh, you know, there's risk of a, a longer hospital stay. Sometimes that is because the patients end up with C-sections and have to stay in the hospital longer, but also sometimes because there are complications like uh, you know increased risk of infection, especially in the presence of diabetes, and uh, increased risk of uh, um, um, bleeding. And sometimes if also if a patient had a you know, larger or for gestational age baby or a macrosomic baby. Sometimes they have uh, more trauma to their uh, perineum, and sometimes they stay in the hospital slightly longer. Um, and um, so those are some risks of both, uh, you know, labor and also postpartum. Now, Dr. Kamali, I do have a question about sure. that, what okay. you just said. Um, I know that there's an increased risk of C-section um, and an increased risk of longer labor okay. when you induce. Okay. And I, I've read a lot of statistics that say that um, higher BMI women get induced earlier Okay. Oftentimes, um, or or have much much higher rates of induction. In fact, I read one study that said that the rate of induction for normal weight women was twenty seven percent, around twenty seven percent, and the rate of induction for o- obese women was over fifty. Okay, I'm wondering if if you could maybe explain to us why that might be, um, and I know that that, you know, there are certainly reasons why certain women might be induced, but it seems like it's an extremely high number. So there's uh, um, multiple factors. One is, you know, as we mentioned, sometimes medical complications uh, may um, uh, may make it necessary to induce a patient. For example, if they're developing uh, preeclampsia or severe preeclampsia um, at certain gestational ages, um, we recommend you know the delivery because you know the baby's better off being delivered than staying in a in a in, a, in an environment with a higher blood pressure. Um, you know, sometimes with diabetes, uh, we may notice that the baby is not growing appropriately, and sometimes we induce. So there are certain medical conditions that necessitate induction, and you know those um, you know basically are uh, are important. Um, and then we also um, talked about an increased risk of, you know, patients going over 42 weeks. And sometimes we actually do wait sometimes up to 43 weeks um, if a patient's well dated. And that also um, kind of touches on the importance of early prenatal care. If you have early sonograms, your dates are accurate. Um, you may not really be, you know, um, post-dates. You may just have an accurate due date. But if you do have an accurate due date and you are, you know, past 43 weeks or sometimes 42 weeks, uh, you know, we do induce um, your labor because there is increased risk risks of, uh, you know, stillbirth and other complications, you know, for post-term pregnancies. Um, so sometimes that is a reason we induce um, um, patients. And um, and then um, there, and then the, the risks of uh, um, C-section for macrosomic babies also, as we mentioned, um, uh, higher BMI patients have a higher risk of having uh, large for gestational age or macrosomic babies. And sometimes those babies just, uh, you know, are, um, you know, uh, 
basically you know are not a, a woman is not able to deliver those babies because they're just larger and and that necessitates a c-section also um but um you know there's multiple factors associated with you know the induction and c-section but absolutely if we can avoid um an induction especially on a patient um that's you know it's the first baby and the cervix is not you know it's not um ripe or dilated, then we'd prefer to wait. So how can all of these risks be reduced? Obviously, you're not going to ask a pregnant woman to lose weight. So how, you know, with all these risks, what, what can a woman do to make sure or to try and avoid sure. so all one these of, risks? Yeah, that's a great question. Once a patient walks in our, into our office and they're pregnant, as you mentioned, we can't you know ask them to go on a diet, uh, but we want them to um, to um, to to go on a healthy diet, meaning not to lose weight, but uh, to consume the appropriate amount of calories so that they don't um, gain an excess amount of weight during their pregnancy, and also to uh, con- you know we kind of educate them about the right um, you know the, the right type of calories or carbohydrates, and you know avoiding empty carbs, uh, you know stuff like just you know prepared sugar or um, you know just you know chocolate desserts all those uh, sodas and juices everything all we the crave. good stuff exactly. yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, and then also sometimes we're able to uh, um, to to um, to refer them to a nutritionist or a dietitian that that can help them um, choose because uh, you know what we do is we sometimes talk to these patients and uh, some patients are very well informed and they have tried various different things and some people just um, you know um, don't have any idea about what is good and what isn't good, and uh, so uh, so we try to um, gauge their um, their knowledge and also just refer them to nutritionists and dietitians and just stress the importance of uh, you know prenatal care and uh, you know just closer supervision. So um, you know sometimes with diabetics and high blood pressure um, and other um, you know uh, uh, complications, we start monitoring a mom um, you know by educating about fetal kick counts and also uh, that's counting the baby's movements every night just to make sure that the baby's uh, moving and active and then also somewhere around 32 to 34 weeks we um, sometimes start uh, doing a little bit more intense monitoring by uh, doing what's called NSTs or non-stress tests by having a mom come into the hospital or the office and we just monitor the baby's uh, um, activity and heart um, rate and sometimes the contractions also just to see if the baby's doing well um, and then you know with sonogram we can also assess various things like growth and and uh, fluid index and and so we just uh, you know monitor these moms a little closer than you know um, uh, normal weight moms just to make sure that they have a positive outcome and, and, and healthy baby. Yeah, I had to do some of that actually with my my second pregnancy. Um, I had gestational diabetes, but it was something that um, wasn't you, the, the the test that you take at what twenty four weeks or something right. like that. Um, that was inconclusive. Like okay. I I can't remember at the time. I didn't have all of the markers, but it was, it was borderline okay. gestational diabetes. Yes. And then they said, "Oh, guess what? You get to come back and take this three hour test again." again. And oh, great. yum. <laughs> and uh, and then I did that, and then I was over. They said most of the time when you are initially marked is having a borderline gestational diabetes that usually falls into, yeah, gestational diabetes later. So I remember you were talking about the non-stress test and stuff, and that was something that I had to do. But it was kind of nice on one end. I mean, it was a commitment, but at the same time, um, it was nice to see the baby more often and hear his heartbeat and and go through that whole thing. Well, but also gestational diabetes isn't just doesn't BMI isn't just the only risk right. factor for gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my friends was quite underweight and had gestational diabetes. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. For it's sure. Di- oh. Diet, genetics. N- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I learned that when I went to m- my first class for gestational diabetes. I was like, wow, there's a plethora of different types of people in here. I wasn't <laughs> sure what to expect, right. you know? Right. When we come back, we'll talk about ways plus-size moms can discuss their health with their medical providers. We'll be right back.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Okay, we're back. Today we're talking about plus-size pregnancy. Dr. Ray Kamali is an OBGYN, and he is joining us now here in our studio to tell us a little bit more about it. So, um, Dr. Kamali, what advice do you have for plus-size moms whose medical providers aren't as sensitive to their situations? Uh, and it's, it's an interesting question. I personally didn't really know that this existed. And, uh, you, know, and I, you know, last night also I was looking at some blogs in preparation for this, and it seems to be a, um, a big problem. You know, there's a lot of patients complaining about their healthcare providers because, um, you know, sometimes in, 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 uh, in the uh, providers trying to educate their patients, sometimes um, they're, uh, you know, they're scaring them or they're not being sensitive to, uh, you know, to the patient. So, um, you know, um, if, if, if uh, you know, I guess the first step would be to try to actually talk to your provider and just, you know, kind of make them aware aware of it. Sometimes in some practices, there's other uh, providers or other practitioners, so, you, you know, you certainly can switch to the other providers. Or um, sometimes you can also ask your friends or your family members who have had babies or who are pregnant to see if they like their OBGYN or their provider or their nurse practitioner or PA. And if they're happy with their um, their care, you know, you can also switch to, to another um, another provider because it's it, it is difficult you know there's no real directory which says these are patients you know physicians that are sensitive <laughs> to your weight you know right. it's just you know it's just kind of uh, kind of like shopping for you know for anything else and you know and shopping for doctors is also very difficult even if, when you're not pregnant sometimes you walk in and you know you may love your doctor and you may mm-hmm. not you just have to be able to bond and be able to um, you know to relate to your doctor and vice versa why do you think that is though that that um, some doctors are not as sensitive as, as they should be I I mean, is it because I'm just thinking, you know, from an outsider's point of view that, you know, you're trained to try to make people, quote unquote, healthy and you're seeing you're trying to fix something that you think is broken. I mean, is that what we're seeing? I, I don't. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, and uh, um, in talk, you know, having this conversation today about all the risks and, you know, in medical school for you know a number of years, we're just drilled about all the risks of, you know, obesity or overweight and, you know, high blood pressure and diabetes and various different disease. Um, you know, you always look at the risk factors and, uh, you know, being overweight is a risk factor for a lot of various different conditions that we study. So um, people are just automatically just trained to think that, you know, um, well, you're overweight, you're obese, you just need to lose the weight and you'll be fine. So how can you, why can't you do it? And, you know, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. And uh, and also, we we also realize that we we need to be able to, you know, uh, offer solutions and you can't just ask a patient to go lose some weight and you'll be better, you know. Especially once you're pregnant, you don't want them to do that. Absolutely. Can I share my my little story? (laughs) Um, And this is very short. This is very shortened, but I was talking to my midwife about uh, the idea of not doing the gestational diabetes drink Mm -hmm. um, and actually just pricking my finger because I usually have low blood sugar and wanted to make sure that I wasn't sick for three or four days after taking that horrible, nasty sugar drink. Um, And, you know, I I suggested to her, this is what I want to do. And she turned to me and said, well, I don't understand how someone can get to your size without liking sugar. Oh, my God. And my husband, who is very, very small, very slender, um, 
turned to me and he had eyes about the size of saucers because he knows that he eats at least three or four times as much sugar per day as I do. Um, and I I usually have a very good diet. I have lots. I exercise lots. Um, I've been very healthy all the way through my pregnancy and before. Um, and it was just such a slap in the face that someone would assume that I had terrible eating habits and that I was just a sloth yeah. uh, because I happened to have a higher BMI. Um, and I think that a lot of people get this from a lot of um, provi- medical providers. And it's, it, it, you know, you, you get this assumption that you're, well, you're just lazy and you're not doing anything right. And you, you aren't listening to me because, of course, you're, you, you wouldn't know if you were eating badly because yeah. you're fat you yeah. don't know and i think that it's it's important for um for people uh, for overweight women to think about okay well do i actually want to be with this medical provider who's yeah. insulting me i mean yes obviously you want to make sure that you're eating healthfully and that you're exercising and that you're doing all these things but if there's a constant kind of harping on you to okay well you need to you know watch those carbs or whatever it is which i've heard as well um it, it, you know you you kind of go okay well why are they harping on me it's yeah. just because i'm a little bit bigger naturally yeah. than somebody yeah. else there are a lot of other factors to wait right so some great news about the diabetes screening test. Uh, some I just read a small study about jelly beans, so you can do that with like ten jelly beans <laughs> instead really? of taking that yeah, really like nasty beans. drink. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so you know, you can actually enjoy your diabetes screening test. Um, That's so. nice. <laughs> That's nice. I wish that they would have given me yeah. that option. I, I don't think those words one. have ever been in the same sentence. Uh, enjoy your diabetes right? screening <laughs> test. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there specific challenges for healthcare providers with a plus size pregnancy? So we're talking about it from the plus size person's perspective, but how about healthcare providers? Um, well, you know, there's a lot of education that's involved. And again, like I said, you know, we have a spectrum of patients that are uh, completely uneducated about what they eat or drink, and uh, and uh, and to to patients that are completely educated and are, are exercising, and you know, they they know about their pregnancies and the risks. So um, part of the challenge is is trying to educate your patients, but part of the challenge is non-compliance. I mean, sometimes, you know, we have patients that have um, struggled with their weight throughout the pregnancy. And the last thing they want, uh, you know, to hear from us is, you know, that we're going to refer them to a nutritionist or a dietitian or that they need to, you know, um, you know, to eat better or eat it's healthy. It's like, oh, one more thing I got to do gotta while do. I'm pregnant or whatever. Right? Absolutely. Is there anything logistical as far as the equipment that you would be using or anything like that that would be affected? Yeah, it's um, also interesting because last night when I was going through some of the blogs, um, you know, I kind of uh, read. Um, a uh, a blog and I forget which website it was um, which came from a patient's perspective of walking into an office so they said you know when you first walk into an office you look and sometimes the chairs are you know are not accommodating um, to a higher BMI patient so um, so right away you already feel like you know I, I'm gonna I gotta stand up because I can't sit in your chairs and other patients are looking at you why is this person standing and um, and then also sometimes the receptionist just walking into the receptionist and how their attitude is towards you and then going into um, to be weighed, you know, um, you know, the scale, does the scale, you know, go up to a certain amount or mm-hmm. is it, uh, is the platform kind of small to fit onto? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then the blood pressure cuff, if the, you know, if the, they don't have a, uh, um, a larger, bre- uh, you know, blood pressure cuff and then the size of the table. And then also those, those horrible gowns that we always give our patients and, you know, they're the one size fits, uh, fits all as, uh, Stephanie mentioned earlier. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and sometimes you just can't, you know, it, it's, it's weird. It's, it's difficult for people to fit into and then they, it just doesn't cover any of their, 
Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, so there is a lot of things that, you know, I actually, I mean, reading that opened my eyes too because, you know, we just, uh, you know, go to a patient's room and we really don't think uh, about these things. And, um, and yeah, th- definitely there's, there's those things that, you know, that patients notice. That blood pressure cuff thing actually happened to me. Really? Um, I, for years, I was getting diagnosed as having high blood pressure. And I kept saying, why, why do I have high blood pressure? This makes no sense. And I finally was, was, they finally used a larger cuff on me. And I'm right on the borderline. I actually measured my arm and different blood pressure cuffs have different circumferences. Okay. Um, but generally speaking, um, you can you can find the number online of what how big okay. the, your arm should be. Um, and I was actually measured with a regular regular size versus normal size or um, versus large size okay. um, blood pressure cuff. And um, at one of my um, prenatal, uh, uh, appointments and they accidentally measured me with the regular size cuff and then five minutes later realized it and said oh wait let's measure you with a large cuff and the difference was over 30 (gasps) over 30 uh, um, points I mean I would have been they they would have been putting me on blood pressure medication and and it was it wasn't that much uh tighter it didn't feel that much tighter it and it wasn't something that i would have commented on prior to actually having been measured with the large cuff but i mean it was i i think it was 147 oh over 110 or wow. something i mean that was and that was scary to me i went yeah. oh my gosh what happened and, and then later on it was 110 yeah if your blood pressure wasn't up then it sure was after yeah. and later on it was 110 over 70 That's or something yeah. so yeah and it was just I told her she yeah. was just allergic to OBGYN. <laughs> 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 That's right. Yeah. And then I did want to touch on the emotional side of things. And Lisa, I'm going to kind of toss this over to you as far as, um, you know, I mean, I think I think it's good for providers to hear a conversation about this and as well for um, other plus size women to know that they're not alone. So what, what are some of the things emotionally with your pregnancy that you've gone through um, that might be helpful to share? Um, I think that it's important for plus size moms to get educated um, because I know that when I first was looking at getting pregnant and was first pregnant, um, you know, you read all these books and you read all these studies and you read all these statistics and a lot of the statistics are, as I had said, you know, presented in such a way that it's, well, you have a, you know, fourfold risk of developing neural tube defects. Well, the actual risk uh, for anyone else is well under 1%. So actually a fourfold risk is still under 1%. Mm. Um, and and I think that once I started to do my own research, educate myself, it started to be less of a stressful thing. I think that it's really important for every mom to not be stressed out, not not to let herself get to that point where she's just dealing with so much stress and anxiety and you know, depression and whatever it is that she's dealing with. Um, I think it's it's very important for um, plus size moms in general, um, well, moms in general, but plus size moms in particular, um, to really get educated about the actual things that are going on and what you can do to make things better. So, you know, instead of beating yourself up about eating that delicious cookie um (laughs) you go for a walk which which can actually help reduce stress and make you healthier and stronger for when you're giving birth um and i think um at first i had a lot of anxiety and once i started to do a lot of research for myself and uh, realized that i actually was 
pretty healthy for, you know, despite my BMI, um, and 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 really start looking at what I could do and what I needed to do. Um, it, it made me a lot less anxious. Um, I also think that, um, you know, going to a doctor that's not going to belittle you or make you feel upset, um, it really makes a difference. And I think that's, that's one of the, um, biggest things that I have seen online, actually, if you if you start looking for a lot of plus size pregnancy things, there are a lot of doctors out there that just don't get it and don't understand that people can be healthy and people can deliver healthfully. And um, I think it's important for for a plus size mom to have a, a good relationship with their doctor. Um, because you don't want to be you don't want to feel bullied, you don't want to feel shamed, you shouldn't feel guilty. Um, for being your size that's you know it's okay to be a different size than Mm -hmm. uh you know quote-unquote normal um as long as you are being as healthy as you can for you and your baby I think that's the important thing so I think I think that that being educated and really having a good relationship with the doctor and having a good support system in general Mm -hmm. are are really important because I know that once I started to really think about things in a different way rather than worrying about all the risks and and feeling like there was no way for me to um you know be healthy then i realized that there are a lot of ways for me to be healthy and and there are a lot of there are tons of moms who are have a, a bmi over 30 or over 25 or whatever who have perfectly happy pregnancies perfectly healthy pregnancies and i think it's it's definitely um something to focus on. I think it's it's good for moms to focus on being healthy and happy. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Kamali, for being here today on Preggy Pals. For more information about Dr. Kamali, you can visit the episode page on our website. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Before we wrap today's show, here's some maternity fashion trends from Crystal Stubendeck of Borrow for Your Bump. Hello, Peggy Pals. I am Crystal Studendeck, maternity fashion expert and founder of Borrow for Your Bump, where you can buy or rent maternity styles for a monthly rate. Today, we are going to talk about the perfect weekend getaway looks for moms-to-be. Fall is a time for cooler weather, back-to-school, football games, and fun weekend outings. This is the perfect chance to enjoy new looks by combining items already in your closet with the new styles that will work with your growing bump. For a city tour or even day errands, we love the look of a dark top with bright cropped skinny jeans. Color blocking is still a hot trend this fall, and it brings light and life to your already glowing face. Add a silk scarf and some colorful and comfy footwear. The country getaway is a relaxing escape, and your wardrobe should say so. Try a chic cotton or even denim blouse with rolled cuffs. For the bottom, add a pastel skirt or shorts and pair it with some comfy loafers. Bring along an oversized striped scarf, which can double as a wrap for breezy nights. If you are lucky enough to experience an island escape during the fall months, we love a simple wrap dress or anything in a fun print. A floral print is also fun, and fend off the sun with an airy wide brim hat. Trade your cool heels for flip-flops, and don't forget the sunscreen. 
every expecting mama deserves a spa trip. For spa wear, we love a clean look like a white sweater in a breathable cotton. Avoid your yoga or gym clothes and add some fun print or bright shorts and silk that will help you relax and set the mood. Don't forget your oversized shades to protect your fresh new face. Road trips are fun any time of year. For an American classic look, pair a striped tee with a skinny military cargo pant. We love anything with an edgy zipper detail. Some basic Ken sneakers and a fedora hat pull the look together. Whatever your getaway, find more flattering styles at borrowforyourbump.com. Enter promo code CREGGYPALS at checkout to save 20% off your entire order. Thanks for listening to today's tips on weekend escapes, and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great pregnancy tips. That wraps up our show for today. For members of the Preggy Pals Club, this conversation continues as we explore what it's like for plus-size moms who are looking for maternity clothes. How does that work? Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.